only that's how we generate enough um, want to to forgive somebody, it's also how we generate enough want to to express love towards God because we see how much he has invested in us and we want to do the same thing. I want to tell you another story, and it's in Mark chapter 14. And we're going to start in verse 4 here in just a moment. But the scene is Bethany, which is just a few miles from Jerusalem, right? And this is the day before Jesus' triumphal entry. And Jesus is fixing to, to, to walk through that. And he knows he's just a, a few days away from the trial, which will lead to his, you know, uh, crucifixion and his death. And he knows all of this. He knows all that's going on. He understands, you know, what is about to unfold before him. And what does he do the night before? Well, he goes to an invitation. He accepts an invitation to a man's house. They they call him Simon the leper. And he uh, goes there and eats with them and spends time with them. It's people that he cares about, people that he is associated with. And so he is there that night, and he is reclined at the table with his disciples, with Simon the leper. It's kind of interesting that they call him Simon the leper. Obviously, he doesn't have leprosy anymore, right? Uh, They don't call him Simon the healed or anything like that. They remember what he was, and they also remember who uh, made him who he is today. Uh, And so they're reclining at this table with Jesus, and some along the way here, as they're reclining and enjoying each other fellowship, this lady walks in with this really expensive jar of ointment or perfume, and she breaks off the top, and she begins to uh, dump it on his, well, anoint it on his head, it says, the scripture says, and on his feet. And the people are not happy with this. The disciples, Simon the leper, they're, they're kind of indignant, is what the scripture says. Let's read that, verse 4. It says, There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like this? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. And Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand, for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And Jesus was right, like always. Uh, But here we are telling the story of this woman again. And it'll be told and it'll be retold and retold and until Jesus comes back, uh, what this woman has done. He found it uh, significant. Uh, He found it, you know, extravagant, uh, and he felt love uh, from this woman. How do we show love? You know, that kind of love makes sense to me. I thought a lot about love. In fact, the whole point of my sermon today was to talk about the love of God. And here I am talking about our love for God, but it's easy for me to talk about our love for God. It's easy for me to understand why you would be here today or why you're watching on TV today. It, because we just have this desire to want to express our love, our gratitude, our appreciation to God, to acknowledge God, to honor God uh, for what he has done. It, it's easy for me to understand that. 
First John talks, First John chapter four talks about this love that we have towards God because of what God has done for us, right? And so in verse seven, First John chapter four, verse seven, it says this: Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then down in verse eleven, it says, Beloved. If God so loved us, we ought to, all, we ought to love one another. And, and that love makes sense to me, right? I mean, for God loved us, and therefore love just comes out of us. We want to express it, just like the little Russian lady that wanted to express her love towards God. Like this lady that comes in with this very expensive perfume and can't help herself but dump it all out on Jesus because she's wanting to express how much she cares and loves him. And, and, and we do this all the time in our own lives, trying to find ways that we can express our love towards God. Why? Because of what God has done for us. If, it says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so we love one another because of what Jesus has done for us. And look at verse 12. It says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We don't see God. If, if Jesus was still here, in fact, in that scripture, remember what it said? You, you will always have the poor. You will always have an opportunity to love on the poor, but you won't always have me. So, so basically, she's taking advantage of this moment. Now, if, if Jesus was here, would you not want to love on him? Would you not want to express, I mean, greatly? Would there not be like, all of a sudden, nobody's eyes would be on me. They'd all be on Jesus as I'm talking. Actually, I wouldn't be talking. He'd be talking. At least I hope so, right? But I would be right there, man. I would just want to love on Jesus. But as Scripture says, no one has ever seen God. Now, when Jesus was here, that 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 was it, right? And so we loved on him, but he's no longer here. Now he's up there. We have his spirit. But because we can't see him, we, we have to express it in other ways. So how do we express it? We express it by loving one another. Jesus was always telling us, whatever you do for the poor, you do for me, right? And so therefore, every time we, we understand, every time I love on this person, it's as if I am trying to love on Jesus. I understand all that. That's all I'm trying to get at is I understand that kind of love. You know, when somebody pours into you like Jesus has poured into us, it's just natural for us to want to love back. What I don't understand is his love for us. That's what I wanted to preach on. And I just was thinking all week long, how do I explain something I don't fully understand? I don't understand God's love for us. I understand our love for him because he's done something for us. But we have not done anything for him. We've not done something that's so significant as like, you know. Now here, this woman has done something to Jesus, and I bet she deposited a lot of love units in Jesus that day, right? But when, when, but she was responding to what Jesus had done to her. What about what, what she did for him? I mean, who initiated that? 
that loving thing. I bet it wasn't her. I bet this isn't her first, you know, response to him. I bet she's responding out of what he did for her. I don't want to complicate this, but listen, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that he... Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I mean, there's, something, there's, there's so many things that are significant about that, like God is love. God equals love. He is the same as love. Love and God equal. What is, what is that? Can we comprehend that? I mean, there's days that I bet you guys could be like... Uh, classified as love because you did something love but do you do that like consistently every day all the day no you can't be defined that way you can't be defined as love you might do loving things And, and it says in verse 10 in this is love not that we have loved god but that he loved us and his son. And see, what, what I, I get confused on is that he initiated it in the midst of our depravity, our sinfulness. We have not ever, we did not ever do anything for him, you know, put love into him so that that generates him wanting to be kind or loving towards us. He just did that when we weren't loving and kind. And, and Scripture is very, it, it makes us very pointed. Uh, let's look at it this way for a second. Moms, I want you to pretend, okay? I want you to pretend you walked into your teenage, and you might have to look, think back. You may have to think forward. I don't know, but uh, you might have to just think today. I don't know, but um, you just walked into your teenage kid, his or hers bedroom, and you're just blown away because what you were, saw there, you weren't expecting to see there. No, were there, were there dirty clothes on the floor? They were all picked up. Nowhere, when you opened the closet, everything was just hung up and like put in order and everything was perfect. The bed was made. You know, everything was spotless. It had been vacuumed. The trash had been dumped, right? And some of you are like, that's a pure fantasy right there. That has never happened. But just think if that happens, the first thing you would think is what? Okay, what's wrong, right? What's wrong? Or what do you want? And so you would be questioning, what is it that you want? What is it that is wrong? You'd be questioning this. And, and your teenage, teenager turns to you and just says, you know what, Mom? I just wanted to show you how much I love you. That probably doesn't happen very often, right? But if it did happen, you would understand that, though, right? You understand that kind of love. Or, or let's just say, you know, your husband. Your husband comes home with a dozen roses, and it is not your anniversary. It's not Mother's Day. It's, it's not, you know, Christmas or anniversary or anything like that. And, and you're just, the first thing that you're thinking is what? Okay, 
Either something really good happened at work and I'm fixing to find out, or something really bad is happening and I'm fixing to find out. But you're, you're thinking that something created this. And then he just says, no, there's nothing up. I just, I just was th- driving home and I was just thinking how much I love you and I just want to express that. And even though that might be a little bit shocking, you still would understand it, right? That kind of love. Because a teenager would, would be like, mom has invested in me. She has poured in love. She loves me so much. I want to show her how much I love her. So I know that she is always on to me about cleaning my room. So I know if I pick up my room, that will be me way, my way of showing her love back. And the same way with the husband. She has done so much for me. I, just, I know she loves flowers. And giving it to her on a time when she doesn't expect it, I know it would be a way of me expressing love back. But it's expressing love back. That's what we do with God. We express love back. He doesn't, he loves us before there was us ever expressing love. And that's where I get all hung up, you know? Like, I don't know that I completely understand that. Last week, I talked to you guys about this love bank thing, this concept that Willard Harley uh, come up with. And it's, I, I just find it fascinating because it just really helps me understand me and it helps me understand what's going on with, you know, other people and their relationships. But just like we were talking about last week, you know, that if you just see yourself as a bank and you have all these accounts and every, everybody that is in your life has a, an account with you and they are always making deposits in your life or they're always taking love units out and so it just depends on how they affect you if they affect you in a negative way they withdrew some if, if they affect you in a really negative way they withdrew a lot right from your your account uh and if they deposited just something nice like bring flowers when they weren't expecting i bet that would be depositing for some of you a whole lot of love units right um and and so we understand this you know that this this give and take this and you're always wanting to give more than you're taking if you want the relationship to to be in a healthy environment and so we talked about this but what if where i get it gets complicated with me what if somebody has come and depleted all of their account money with you and now they're wanting credit from you. Do, you. do you just keep loving them? I mean, according to Willard Harley, he's just like, you just lose your love for them. So therefore, that is where the relationship starts to fall apart, right? And that kind of makes sense. Anybody have any banking issues in your life right now? Anybody where they, you know, they come and they take some from you, and then they come and they take some from you, and, and after about two times of that, you're just, you're reminding them, your, your account's getting a little low here, right? And then they come and they take, not only do they have no more money in their account, but now they're coming and asking for credit. And some of you are like, that doesn't happen in my bank, because there's no credit, you know, right? Um, but... And that would make sense to me, to be honest. You, you, if you want to have a good relationship with me, you better be depositing more than you're withdrawing. Anybody here take advantage of banking privileges like that, where somebody lets you, you know, 
get credit from them and you don't have to deposit anything. We have those relationships going on all the time too. A lot of times it is like a, a family type of situation that gets credit, right? Uh, where kids are withdrawing more than they're putting in and we let that go on for a long time just because there is love there and so it lingers longer. If, if we are going to be in a banking business, I was thinking about this this week, then we just have to understand that we're going to have to deal with some outstanding accounts, right? And, and that's just part of banking. No, no bank likes outstanding accounts, but that's just part of banking. But at the same time, the person who is making the outstanding accounts don't really like it either. I mean, anybody that has an outstanding account going on, they don't like going in that bank. They're always afraid of what people are thinking. And when you walk out, you're afraid of what they're talking about. They're talking about you, right? And it's the same way with the relationship thing, too. It's, I remember at one time we had some people that wanted, they were in a hard time, and they wanted to borrow some money from the church, and we loaned them some money. We learned real quick that that's a bad policy for a church. Because you know what happens as soon as you loan money? then they quit coming around, not because they don't intend to pay it back, but because they're afraid of what you're thinking. And so we got out of that business really quick, and now if we ever give money, we give money. We don't loan money. We give it, and glad that we can do it, and here you go. Because we don't want it to have a, a, an issue where, you know, it hurts the relationship, but we understand all of these concepts. The woman had, that, that was here in our scripture, she has this account with Jesus. And evidently, he did something to really significantly deposit money into her life. And there she is at his feet pouring out this expensive jar of perfume that, that for her, it consists of nothing compared to what he did for her. What did he do for her? I'm sure it has something to do with forgiveness of her sins. Giving her a, a new life, you know, a hope, whatever it is. But she, she just can't help herself but love him. And we understand that kind of love. It isn't the first time either. I mean, we could talk about those examples all day long in Scripture. Like, like for instance, the woman caught in adultery. How did she feel when she was walking away that day knowing that Jesus just saved her physical life and also just forgave her spiritual life and allowed her to walk away whole both ways? How did she feel? Or, or how about another Mary, not this Mary that's in Scripture, but another Mary named Mary Magdalene where she was wiping his feet with her tears or the paralytic in Matthew chapter 9 who, when Jesus says, take up your bed, roll and walk away and obviously forgave him his sins, what did he feel like? I bet he felt just uh, compassion and love and, uh, towards Jesus. Or the blind man or the woman touched, you know, in the crowd who was subject to bleeding or the woman at the well. I mean, can we not go on and on and on? And even those that we don't even understand, like... I got a little confused when I was trying to study this out in Luke chapter 7, which I'm going to take you there. Luke chapter 7, I thought it was a parallel passage to the passage that we're in right now. And after doing some study and, and actually reading, I got confused. So therefore, I was trying to dive into it a little more because it, it starts off and we'll just read through a little bit and then I'll explain. But he says, 
one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So that sounds like a situation here, only the situation here, it was Simon the leper, you know, invite him to eat, and this is a Pharisee. But as you'll see, the, his name is Simon too. But he went in to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. One of the things you'll notice if you study through this is that they're in a different city. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. That sounds familiar. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and her head and kiss his feet and anoint them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was who touched him, for he is a sinner. Now according to Mark Moore, this is two different instances. You know, this is this isn't the same one, but boy are they so familiar. And I bet this was happening to Jesus just constantly, like people are always coming to him for healing. And then after they came for him, now they're coming to him for appreciation and showing how much they are grateful for him. But I bet it was just an ongoing, constant thing. But his love is difficult to understand. You know, I don't know, I mean... It's so easy for me to understand my love for him, but it's so hard for me to understand his love for me. I don't know why he loves me. I mean, if I think about it after I started loving him, then maybe I can start making some connections. Well, I, I do this, I do that, you know. I, I'm a good guy. I helped this woman over here. I, I, I did, you know, this. And that's why I can start thinking, well, that's why Jesus loves me. But for one, I'd be wrong, right? But, but I can rationalize that in my head, but I have a hard time understanding why he initiated it in the first place. It's just, it's, it's a complicating thing, I think, for me. I mean, I, I sat around all week just thinking about this, trying to figure out how to preach about this. God's love for us. I started off asking you, how do we express our love to God. But why, did, why does God express his love to us? We haven't added anything. You know, when I talk to young people about being baptized into Jesus, I, I like to talk to them about my relationship with Lori and, and when we first got married in that situation because it helps. I, it's a picture I think helps them understand what they're getting into with their relationship with God. Uh, and so I just explained to him that when Lori and I first met in college there at Ozark, you know, uh, we dated for a while. Then I asked her to marry me, and wow, she said yes. That's crazy, I know, but she did. And and uh, so we made a plan for a date. And and here's the thing: is when we got married, then what was hers is now mine, and what is mine is now hers. You know how this works. And so I, t- I explained to the, to the young people that uh, she had a car, which was pretty cool. I mean, in my head, it was pretty cool because I didn't have anything. And she had money in the account. In fact, I didn't want to ask her how much, 
But I really wanted to ask her how much. But when, when we got married, all because I knew as soon as we got married, all that was going to be mine, right? Um, and on the flip side, in comparison, I had a poster, and it was ripped in the corner. It wasn't much of a poster. And it wasn't even anything I liked. I just felt like I needed something on the wall because everybody else did. So I had a poster on my wall. Uh, and... Uh, I had books, but those books come with a whole bunch of debt. I had a bunch of school debt. That was another thing that was awesome about Lori. She had no debt. Zero. So she had a car, money, and no debt. I was really getting something. And I had a poster and a whole bunch of debt, and she was not getting much of anything. And I just helped the kids understand that she still wanted me. You know? She didn't mind taking the debt on because she wanted me. I come with the debt, and so you have to have the debt. And so I just try to help them understand, you know, that that's, that's the way it is with us. We have all this sin, this debt. And God wants us so much that he takes the debt with us, right? And it makes sense to a young mind, and I like telling that story. But to me, it still falls apart pretty quickly because why would she go ahead and take me with my debt. It's because of I have been depositing love units in her life. Does that make sense? That's why she thought I was worth taking the debt as well. But what if I was always not depositing? I didn't deposit squat in her life. I mean, I just, I was mean to her. I was always ridiculing her. I was always withdrawing tons of love units out of her life and never deposited any, and I have this school debt. You think she would have married me? No. No, she wouldn't even have thought two cents about me. Now that is the picture of God, though. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? We, we deposit nothing into God, and yet he still wants us. And when you start really trying to figure this out, it just becomes really complicated. Let me read some scriptures. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. I give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And, of course, that would mean they all go to hell. If that's how he did, did it. But we know that he provided a way that's through Jesus. But why did he provide a way when we don't deserve his love? We didn't deserve to be rescued. We didn't do anything to be rescued. But he did it anyway. You know, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And we've talked about that scripture before. I don't want to, you know, explain it again. But you know that that's not a good picture. And that's our righteous deeds. Don't even measure up. Right? And it says, we all fade like a leaf in our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon the name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. In Romans chapter 3 verse 10 it says... As it is written, none is righteous. No, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And it goes on to explain all of that. 
And just try to wrap your mind around this. That is how we come into the presence of God is with all of this iniquity, all of this sin, all this unrighteousness, all this deception. And even now, we are responding out of love that he has done for us, but even our love then is not very perfect or pure by any means. We're still not giving him what he really deserves, the righteousness and and the perfection that he deserves And yet he still loves us. But the fact that he loved us before. How do you explain that? I wrestled all week trying to figure out how to explain this to you. I don't know how to explain that. What's behind that? What's behind a God who loves even though he's not loved? Even though he was rejected, that he loves. How do we comprehend that? Because every relationship, every relationship in our life, even our relationship with God is driven by what that person did for us, right? Who you married is completely de- determined by how much they put into you, the love units they deposited into you. Even God, your response to God is because he deposited stuff into you. So therefore you feel good about that and therefore you respond in a positive manner back. But who loves when they are not loved? Now, you might think, well, I love that person. Well, it's still driven out of somebody depositing something you like God. You know, like you'll love the unlovable. Why? Because God loves you. So it's still driven by that. But not God. He doesn't have that. Here's the only thing I could come up with. It's not real insightful. But it does help maybe us understand a little bit. The only thing I come up with is I'm thinking about, I don't understand how to explain God's love. Is, is one, is maybe his love is driven by just the sheer fact that he made us. He made us. He, he created us. And that there's some satisfaction, some love that is driven and, and uh, created in the midst of that. And the only reason I say that is because a lot of us are parents here. And if you're a parent, I know that you've probably experienced this. I remember experiencing this with all of my kids, but, uh, but the, the one I remember the most is my first, Carrie, right? And here we bring this, this child home. I just marvel at this child. And every child, I think, when they're first born, they're pretty ugly. I'm, that's just my opinion. I'll wait a couple weeks before I see yours so that I'll make sure that I tell you honest that they're beautiful. But when they're first born, they're just, mm, they're wrinkly and I don't know. Uh, and people that take pictures then, I, you ought to just keep that stuff to yourself. Take them in a week and then post them. They're so much prettier, you know. Uh, I'm just messing. But, but the thing is, is that when they're your own, they're beautiful. When they're your own, they bring you joy that you knew nothing about. You could love another child, but when you bring home your first child, there's just something that is created there, right? And so they lay there and they do nothing. They don't clean the house, they don't mow the yard, they do nothing. They don't do anything to add value to your life. 
they besides exist. And you're looking at them and there's just this joy that is coming into your life just because they exist. I mean, they even create problems in your life at that point. They mess their pants and they throw up on you and they cost you money. And so they're creating pain and yet you still have this amazing love. You would die for them and they have not done anything for you yet. Why? The only thing I come up with is that it's something that because of how God works that you and this other person got to create this. And I think that there's a little bit of that that happens with us because God has created all of us and there's just this sense that he loves us because of that connection. And the only other thing I could come up with is that, as it says in 1 John, God is love. That's just who he is. I don't, I don't think that we can wrap our minds around this. But to understand that he loves because he just is love. It's just who he is. And, and we can have moments where we, you know, are like God and that we can love unconditionally and we can love people that didn't do anything for us. We can have moments, but like I said earlier, that is not how we are defined because that's, that's, a, that's a small segment of how we normally behave. Normally, you have to earn your love if I'm going to love you back kind of thing. And God is constantly, from the beginning of time, this defined in this way and that he loves. That doesn't mean he won't send you to hell. I don't want you to think it's that kind of love where all oh, we're all going to go to heaven. He will send you to hell, but it will his love will suffer for it because he won't he doesn't want you there. He wants everyone to be in heaven. He wants to give eternal life to everyone. He wants to forgive everyone. That's why he sent his son Jesus. And so there still has to be this response from you to determine if you get his love. You know the the grace and the forgiveness of that, but he loved you first. That's why you got the opportunity for Jesus. But how do we comprehend that? I don't know that we can. But here's what I concluded as I'm thinking through this all week long. Is I'm concluding this. I, I can't do anything to earn it. Now, I can respond to him now, and I can make my, as I said, I can make my works think that I'm earning my salvation, but that's silly. That's not earning my salvation. He gave me salvation before I even started working. The, the moment that I understood his love and accepted his love, salvation came to my life, and therefore all my works beyond that are just responses of what he's done for me, but I, I, I just marvel as I can do nothing to earn this love. And I don't, I don't have to wait until I have put enough love units into his bank for him to have good feelings towards me. And so there's just zero pressure. The, the only thing that I can do is just love him back. But I can't earn it. And I, I can't do enough. 
And so like the Russian woman who loved Jesus so much that she did this, or this woman who in our story poured out this, or the other woman, I mean, I don't know, there's this, all these expressions of love. The only thing I can think of is it deserves our focus, our appreciation. This love of God deserves our um, our dedication, our admiration, and and just honor Him by just marveling at something we don't fully understand. I think that's an appropriate response to when we come to this table here. Is just marvel at this love. Just just to try to be, for a moment in time, try to be what this woman was when she went in there and showed extravagant focus and appreciation. She, I bet she didn't care one iota what those disciples were saying about her. She couldn't help but just show him this love. She's doing, Jesus says she's doing the only thing that she could do. And for a moment, let that just be what it, it, you know, we are trying to do with God is just do what we can do. That is just to appreciate this God who is defined as love, who loved us in spite of. Let's pray. Father God, as we uh, come and partake of these emblems that represent your son, Jesus, we are reminded of your amazing love. We will never comprehend fully why you sent him to save people who rejected you and despised you. Who continue to even sin against you even when we have this love of Jesus and his spirit living in us. And we won't comprehend it completely, but, but we can appreciate it. We can honor it. And we can continue to do our best to um, tell stories with our behavior and our actions. Father, we just want to honor you at this time. We want the focus to be upon you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.